Well, if it's a cure for Smurf's brain he wants, then that's what we'll give him. Yes, something to cure them of everything, including breathing. <laughs> Prussic Acid, the anti-immortality potion. I'm Joe Fulgham. This episode is gold, pure gold. I'm Torin Atkinson. Martyrdom, third time's the charm. I'm Joanna Gaskell. Why is my semen in that horse's womb? It's alchemy! I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda! Word origin, date uncertain, al from the Arabic the, chumea from Greek to mean mixture or pour out, alchemia. The mixture pour out. Yeah, the pouring out of mixtures. It's an interesting combination of two different languages in one word. Alchemy kind of started in like ancient Egypt and Greece. Then it kind of died out there when those civilizations kind of took a step back and the Arabs picked it up. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah. You know, (laughs) when they stopped being like empires that controlled the world. Okay. And then the Arabs stepped up for hundreds and hundreds of years, sort of steered that ship. Okay. And then it got adopted when the Arab world and the Western European world started to kind of pal around. Then it it got picked up in Europe and then alchemy became a a thing. There was also a lot of Chinese alchemists, right? It was... Asian stuff Absolutely. in there somewhere. But I don't think they use the word alchemy. Oh, yeah, no. From Arabic and <laughs> I would Greek. imagine not. Yeah. No. Who is that that I just heard? That's our uh, special guest, Bert, Joanna. Doo, doo, doo. Hi. Hi, I'm Joanna. <laughs> and so why are you here on our alchemy episode? Well, because you invited me here. And I like alchemy. It's pretty cool and interesting. An alchemy enthusiast as opposed An to enthusiast. practicing yeah, alchemist. No, no, never tried. Right. Perhaps in my bathtub when I get home because I'll be inspired by this episode. Oh. Do, you have, do you have any lead figures? Probably. Turn them into gold. I probably we could, do. We could work into turning yeah, gold, gold figures on our yeah. gaming table. Because uh-huh. yeah. I've stripped the paint off. But Now we're talking. Well, A phobia... Gnosiophobia or epistemophobia is the fear of knowledge. Epistemophobia? Mm-hmm. Sounds dirty. <laughs> no, that's epistemophobia. Oh. <laughs> uh, alchemy is a philosophical tradition whose early practitioners claimed profound powers. The defining objectives of alchemy are varied, but in the Western world, it was primarily concerned with the creation of the fabled Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. Now, the Philosopher's Stone was supposed to have a lot of different powers. It was supposed to be able to turn base metals into noble metals like right. gold or silver. It could be the foundation of an elixir of life that conferred youth and longevity. Mm-hmm. You could use it to create perpetually burning lamps. <laughs> you could transmute common crystals into precious stones and diamonds. I like the lamp one. That's really important. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, back when, you know. I guess. In the 10th century, lamps were important. Otherwise, it was all just like going to bed now, I guess. Yeah, but you could probably buy some really nice ones with these stones and t- stones you've turned into diamonds. Yes. Yeah. They don't need so, to be perpetual. Yeah. It's true. You could use the Philosopher's Stone to revive dead plants. You you could create flexible or malleable glass, and you could create a clone or a golem. I was just imagining huh. somebody on their knees weeping over the death of their plant. Why? <laughs> Why? Is I must this double my efforts dead? to find the Philosopher's Stone. Don't worry. Yes, we can bring your plant back to life. Uh, the Philosopher's Stone was the central symbol of the joining of the mystical and practical elements of alchemy, a symbol of perfection at its finest, enlightenment, and heavenly bliss. 
efforts to discover the Philosopher's Stone were commonly known as the Magnum Opus, or Great Work. Mm-hmm. Western alchemy is largely recognized as a proto-science that contributed to the development of modern chemistry and medicine. Alchemists developed a framework of theory, terminology, experimental processes, and basic laboratory techniques that are still recognizable today. Okay. But alchemy differs from modern science in that it included the hermetic principles and practices related to mythology, religion, and spirituality. Now, what does hermetic mean? It's kind of just that. It's, it's mythology, religion, and spirituality all tied up in this kind of scientific processes because like these early, early scientists didn't really understand how the world worked. Like they didn't have atomic theories and whatnot. So they needed things to explain the results that they were seeing. So it was like, oh, it's God's will or it's the four humors or it's this or it's that. And they were just kind of spitballing, right? Hermes was the super fast God, right? And the God of magic. Yeah, the which messenger is, God. Which is what hermetic means. And oh. means magic. Really? And okay. he was also the patron God of physicians. Mm-hmm. Right, the caduceus. And, right, the caduceus, the yeah. snakes in the stick. That's right. Yeah. yeah that was his symbol. And so. winged boots, if I recall. Uh, yeah, yeah wings on his ankles. So he's oh. Namor's favorite god, patron patron god of Namor, the Submariner. <laughs> and point of order before one of the soda jerks points this out: the Caduceus is actually incorrectly uh, attributed to Hermes? attributed to uh, medicine. It's actually the rod of Asclepius. But American oh. American medicine for some reason uses the Caduceus because somebody early on started doing it, so it's become habit. Is it like one of them? The snakes twirl around them clockwise, and the other one they. Go counterclockwise. counterclockwise? Uh, the Rod of Asclepius only has one around, ah. and it doesn't have the wings on it. And the Caduceus has two. The double snake. Asclepius. Uh, so for the purposes of this episode, um, uh, the intention is to focus on the practical side of alchemy rather than the mystical side. Sure. Because the mystical side is all kind of just like magic and bunk and god we this and god that. We might have a magic episode at some point. Yeah, We can exactly. all bring our Magic the Gathering decks. Okay. <laughs> make, make a convention out of it. Save it up yeah, save for sure. that. Uh, of course, there's... I swamp walk. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> that means it's unblockable if you could, if the person it's attacking controls any forms. Of course, uh, as with anything in the human experience, uh, some alchemists were a lot less concerned with advancing knowledge and discovery, such as and imposters or charlatans commonly used alchemy as a means of making money fraudulently, gaining mm-hmm. fame and infamy. It feels like it's kind of the fringe of actu- the, what little actual science there was in the same way that the woo peddlers now are talking about quantum, the yeah. kind of sort of unknown edge of science. Back then, they barely knew anything, so these guys were talking about, well, if I mix these things together, That's that'll right. do magic things. Well, it, it was funny because what they would do is they would try and figure out how to make the Philosopher's Stone, and then they'd make something else and go, oh, that works. I can't turn gold lead into gold, but I can cure blah blah blah. Do you have fatigue and sexual dysfunction? Buy my philosopher's stone liquid. <laughs> Are you feeling bummed out? Try this tincture. It will make you feel better. It's almost the philosopher's stone. Yeah. Well, those are the charlatans. The yeah. real guys would be like, Well, I don't have a philosopher's stone yet, but what I do have is a solution to this. So Yeah, a lot of it ended up having to do with medicine, right? Yeah. Yeah. End up yeah. curing things and Well, I have compiled a list of uh, alchemy hits. Science hits and science misses. Okay, from All the right. field of alchemy. Okay, I like this. Okay. I like this. So I like where this is going. I'll start out with the shorter section. Uh-huh. Science hits. Oh. <laughs> okay. This is yeah. the uh, the sun shines on a dog's ass once in a while. Yeah, uh, even a wa- even a broken watch is right twice a day. Yeah. The attempts of alchemists to arrange information on substances so as to clarify and anticipate the products of their chemical reactions resulted in early conceptions of chemical elements and the first rudimentary... Rudimentary. <laughs> That's a better word. <laughs> That's what it should be. Yeah, exactly. you, just, you just alchemied the fucking word rudimentary. Oh, yeah, threw in some extra Why is the word rudimentary not very rudimentary? <laughs> ah, that's a good point. Rudimentary 
Uh-huh. Periodic table. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Of course. Right. Yeah. Then there's distillation. The first clear evidence of distillation, a method of separating mixtures based on differences in volatility of components in a boiling liquid mixture, comes from a Greek alchemists working in Alexandria in the first century. Distillation is a physical separation process, not a chemical reaction. Unless you put two things inside that distillation thing that uh, you mm-hmm. know might react chemically. Who's had some distilled water before? Anyone? I think we all have. Mm-hmm. We've, we've also uh, consumed alcohol, which is generally also created distilled? with some yes. kind of yeah. stuff. giant alembic. Good times. You guys know what alembic is, right? Well, we'll put a picture of it on the website. We'll put a picture of it on the website, caustic-soda-podcast.com. Black powder. Of course. Typically Those... attributed as an invention of Chinese alchemists, described in 9th century texts and used in fireworks in China by the 10th century and used in cannons by 1290. We discussed this a little bit on our small arms episode, if I recall. Mm-hmm. To say that gunpowder changed the course of human history might be an understatement. Mm-hmm. Uh, science misses. Ah, I see. This is going to be no, much that was, more Yeah, that was really quick yeah, on the hits. There. <laughs> Settle in, folks. Yeah. We already mentioned uh, the Philosopher's Stone, of course. Mm-hmm. There is the five elements, the belief that the world was composed of a handful of simple essential parts of which anything consists. Wait a minute, five elements. There's like fire, air, earth, water. What's the fifth one? Well, it depends if you're Western or Eastern. Does anyone know the fifth element? And it's not love. Damn it! In spite of what Luke Besson, yeah, Luke Besson, Bruce Willis tells me. In Western alchemy, does anyone know the fifth element? Plasma. Close, very close, (laughs) actually. Okay. Star matter. Oh, also uh, quintessence. Which ether? Star matter is plasma. I win. I'm going to call that a hit. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nice job. Now, does anyone know the five elements in the Eastern? Alchemy philosophy. Uh, it's not. It, it, are the first four right? Is it still air, there, earth, fire, water? There's fire, water, and earth. What are the other two? Who are the five members of Earth, Wind, dragons. and Fire? Dragons. <laughs> not, <laughs> not dragons. Games of Thrones. Games of Thrones. <laughs> what does that even mean? It's, it's Western. <laughs> what? You'd say Legend of the Five Rings if you were doing Eastern. Wood and metal. Oh, there we go. Oh, okay. okay. Fire, water, right. earth, wood, and metal. Mm-hmm. Then there's the doctrine of signatures. In Eastern philosophy, Chinese alchemist Lao Tzu was the first to, com- to clearly elucidate a philosophy that states that herbs which resemble various parts of the human body should be used to treat ailments of that part of the body. Oh, I love this. Somehow makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you were to stumble on a banana, what would a banana be used uh, to? You rub cure. that on your penis. I was going to say mm. a penis-shaped clover. Well, liverwort was used to treat ailments of the liver. Snake root was an antidote for snake venom. Wormwood was to expel intestinal parasites, and so forth, and so. And th- so, obviously, that's how they got their names because they were purported to do these things. But right. there's actually no link between these things and cures for those ailments. Not as far as I'm I would aware. imagine. Yeah. Not. This is the misses section. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh. That looks like a liver, yeah. right? So I'm going to eat it because I have cirrhosis, yeah. right? Oh, guess what? My cirrhosis didn't get any better. But I'm going to call that plant liverwort. Now, of course, mandrake looks like a man. Yes. But is also deadly nightshade and will kill you, which I guess you hmm. could say cures you of a man problem. <laughs> By yes. ending yeah. your life. Yeah, because we have one stupid have a, man. I have and... a man problem. Give him some mandrake. <laughs> well, although uh, because mandrake contains hallucinogenic alkaloids and the roots sometimes contain bifurcations causing them to resemble human figures... Popular belief held the mandrake plant grew where semen ejaculated by hanged men fell to the ground. Why? Whoa. Hold on a second. 
that happens? Why are yeah. hanged men ejaculating? I can only get off with the auto It's for the same reason for the same reason that they shit and piss themselves. Just all their just it all comes out. It all comes out. All their sphincters just loosen up and things come out. Yeah. Because you put a little faucet on their testicles. <laughs> One for each. Yeah, that's well known. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Right. Or, or uh, who? Maybe somebody feels bad while yeah. he's hanging. It's like, look, uh, you've only got a few minutes left. Let's let make me, it happy. Let me help you. Out here. Let's, <laughs> let's let's give your life a happy ending. Oh, yeah. and this so the, was supposed to make mandrakes, or it was believed to. Right. There was it's a, a lot of hanged men coming <laughs> on the ground. Got a lot. There's a if if my theory is correct, there are a lot of really nice women out there, or I guess <laughs> or men. men yeah, really, yeah. you know. There was a largely theological justification made for this philosophy. It was reasoned that the Almighty must have set his sign upon the various means of curing disease which he provided. God tells me to take this to cure my liver disease. Exactly. He, <laughs> he wouldn't make things that look like skin rash right. if you didn't want it to it, cure skin rashes. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't make it look like a snake if you didn't want it to cure snake bites. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. That makes because he knows that we are pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so wise. God is the kind of guy who uh, you know puts the sticky note on your lunch bag saying, "Open this and eat this with that." <laughs> yeah, when he's not busy turning you into a pillar of salt or raising your village. Yeah, or the, the Tupperware, the note on the Tupperware in the fridge, cook at two hundred degrees. Mm-hmm. So then there's Alkahest, the universal solvent. Okay. A hypothetical universal solvent having the power to dissolve every other substance, much sought after by alchemists for what they thought would be its invaluable medicinal qualities. Okay. Paracelsus's own recipe was based on caustic lime. Mm. Ah. <laughs> we like that. Sounds like a good drink. Uh-huh. Alcohol and carbonate of potash. He believed that this element, alcohol, would be, in fact, also the philosopher's stone. So obviously, uh, now yeah. a potential problem involving alcohol is that if it, it dissolves everything, what do you put it in? Oh, it just—it's like it's like alien blood. It just buries its <laughs> way to the yeah. center of the earth. This Mind is, blown. We cannot discover alcohol until we discover force field containment technology. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is exactly. what's happened. Then there's the homunculus. This is like a little dude. This is like a tiny golem, right? Yep. Popularized in 16th, 16th century alchemy and 19th century fiction, it has historically referred to the creation of a miniature, fully formed human. And what the heck do they need a miniature, fully formed human for? Chores. What wouldn't what? you use a miniature, fully formed human for? It's Get like, the paper. That it's is a good point. It's a tiny slave that you don't have to worry about because you made him. You don't feed oh, him? Oh, or... yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. Or some people you call them or not. If you feed them, you only have to feed them very little. Some people call them children. <laughs> <laughs> but children like puppies grow up. Yeah, that's why homunculi are better. The homunculus first appears by name in writings attributed to Paracelsus. Oh, that dude again. Outlines his method for creating homunculi as follows. What voice should I do for Paracelsus? Is he learn it? Do learn it. A really he's... snooty one. No, I think he's German. G- he's German Swiss, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Look at that face. <laughs> but you could just do but learn it. Just non-angry s- German, though. Okay. No, I don't want any Hitler. That the sperm of a man be putrefied by itself in sealed curcubit for 40 days with the highest degree of putrefaction in a horse's womb. What? A horse's womb? Sealed wow. for 40 days in a horse's womb. Seal a horse's womb for 40 days? I'm Poor not sure horse. the horse would no, like no. that. Or at least so long that it comes to life and moves itself and stirs, which is easily observed. <laughs> okay. After this time, it will look somewhat like a man, but transparent, without a body. I... If after this, it be fed wisely with the arcanum of human blood. Oh, so it drinks blood? And be nourished for up to 40 weeks. And und... 
be kept <laughs> in the heat, in the even heat of the horse's womb, a living human child grows therefrom, with all its members like another child, which is born of a woman, but much smaller. It's like he saw into the future and saw premature children in little artificial <laughs> yeah, yeah. bassinets, yeah, containment ah, to keep them alive. Homunculus, <laughs> so Kleiner homunculus. <laughs> you must have gotten that out of yeah. a horse's womb, yeah. <laughs> or that, or somebody was like, "Why is your sperm in this horse's womb?" Oh, let yeah. me tell you, that is to make it's a homunculus. Uh, it's alchemy. Yeah. Yeah. This definitely sounds like rewriting. I did history. not have sex with the horse. <laughs> no, no. This is why they had to make that crazy cipher. Yeah. With all the symbols and everything, because <laughs> it was just a bestiality circle. <laughs> That's right. All the they wanted to keep secrets, and for good reason. So we've mentioned this Paracelsus guy a couple of times. So I'm going to talk about uh, history's most notable slash caustic alchemists. alchemists, Hermes Trismegistus, kind of the founding alchemist. And his right? name is Hermes. Hermes Trismegistus. Yeah, mm, but he's, he's so he's very hermetic. Uh, he's the hermetic <laughs> tradition hermetic is named guy. after him. Like the Hermetic Corpus, which is attributed to him as his writings, although modern scholars kind of think that he his writings were all written by a bunch of different guys over a period of time that just kind of got attributed to him and that the guy's kind of like Jesus, that some people don't even think he actually existed, Mm. that he's just like, you know, an amalgam. Uh, Spells to magically protect objects are the origin of the expression hermetically sealed. Magically protect. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, how long ago was this book written? We well, really the Hermetic Corpus has been dated to about the 3rd century, but he was ah. supposed to live as a contemporary of Moses. Like, it's kind of like the Bible, that these stories were written, like, hundreds and hundreds of years after this guy was supposed to have lived. Right. So it's the exact same thing. Right, right. Chinese alchemy, which is some of the earliest examples of alchemy by real people, uh, focused mainly on the purification of spirit and body in the hopes of gaining immortality. Pao Qi is the practice of processing Chinese medicines with such methods as honey or wine frying. Sure. Which actually sounds pretty sounds good. Sounds pretty tasty. Yeah. I could, I could yeah. fry I'm some gonna honey and wine. Go mm. home and fry some honey and wine right now. <laughs> oh, or this, a second method very commonly used is roasting with toxic metals such as mercury, lead, and arsenic. Oh, well, I'll pass on that. Not one. so much, really. Yeah. No. <laughs> There's a yin yang thing going there on here. There is a yin yang thing going on there. Uh, the ancient Chinese <laughs> delicious be- and terribly deadly. <laughs> the ancient Chinese believed that ingesting long-lasting precious substances such as jade, cinnabar, or hematite would confer longevity on the person who consumed it. Now, cinnabar now, is yeah. mercury. Yeah, isn't that like one of the most toxic compounds out there? Cinnabar is actually mercuric sulfide, so it's half mercury, half sulfur. Okay, right. <laughs> so if yeah. I awesome. invented a granola bar uh-huh. full of cinnamon. And I called it Cinnabar. <laughs> That'd go over really well. You certainly, in the science community, probably wouldn't jump on board. Okay. But you might fool the, uh, you know, the power bar people. Mm, Cinnabar. You, and you could you use mercury. You could use mercury as your like advertising campaign. Oh, yeah. The god mercury. Gold was also considered particularly potent, as it was a non-tarnishing precious metal. The idea of drinkable gold is found in China in the third century BC. It's found these days in clubs all over yeah, the world. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Goldschlager. Gold but you, nobody actually thinks they're going to get immortal by drinking enough Goldschlager. We just think you're going to have sparkly poop. That's all. <laughs> I've seen people try. Many individuals died or had negative psychological effects after ingesting some of these difficult materials. Uh, however, the loss of life may not have seemed that large a risk when compared with the promise of the afterlife. That's true. Uh, there seems little doubt that some of these lethal preparations were taken with full knowledge of their effects and that the subsequent death was a deliberate journey to the next world. 
look, worst case scenario, you go to heaven. Yeah. But you might live forever <laughs> and then avoid heaven forever. <laughs> so win-win. Wow. A callback to our quackery episode, Emperor Jia Jiang in the Ming Dynasty famously died from ingest- ingesting a lethal dosage of mercury. Right. In fact, but there's... I wonder how it tasted. <laughs> That's what I wonder. Yeah, mercury looks so cool. You'd think it would taste good, don't you? You, you know you need to be standing next to a guy who's willing to drink it, and then you go, how does it taste? Before he goes, Before oh, he I don't know. It's really kind of slick. Yeah, you shouldn't <laughs> even be smelling mercury. I find like, it interesting. Mercury vapor is also deadly. So. Oh, totally deadly. Like a lot of these alchemists that have like brain problems later on in life, they blame the mercury vapor on it. And silver eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in fact, so many of emperors had problems of this nature that British historian Joseph Needham compiled the list of emperors whose death was likely due to elixir poisoning. Hmm. Wouldn't he, they have t- like uh, alchemy testers? <laughs> like you said, you have food testers because you don't want to get poisoned. Yeah, but you don't yeah. want your servant to be immortal. Well, who's <laughs> well, somebody's going to serve you forever? Sure, you could protect you forever. All right, okay, or overthrow you. Right. Well. Although testing to see if it worked if he survived would be hard because you have to wait around for like twenty or thirty years to see if he was getting older. And I also uh, wonder if it, is this the kind of immortality where you're. Uh, Forever young, or you just keep getting older and older, and you're feeble, well, and you just kind of oh, a rancid, I wonder if anybody oh, asked yeah. that really rancid important question. Living dead corpse important. kind of thing, yeah. That you just go on in agony. Uh, Chinese interest in alchemy and the elixir of life seemed to take a big decline after the rise of Buddhism, which claimed to have alternate routes to immortality. So, yeah. hey, we could drink this deadly poison, or we could just believe in a really jo- jolly fat guy. I don't think that's what Buddhism does. <laughs> that is all, totally no, what Buddhism all, is all about. You're describing Santa Claus, aren't you? <laughs> Do you want to join my Santa cult, by the way? <laughs> if you're really, really good, Santa will bring immortality. In the Western world, the Arab world to be precise, in the 8th century, there was a guy named Jabir ibn Hayyan, who was known as Gaber in the Western world. He's the one who introduced scientific methodology and controlled experimentation in the laboratory and is considered by many to be the father of all chemistry. Okay. His accomplishments include extracting anesthetic compounds from, from herbs and using them for general anesthesia during operations. Created an elaborate numerology whereby the root letters of a substance's name held correspondences to the physical properties, which eventually grew into a table of contents that we know today. Table of elements. Okay. So he's kind of the granddaddy of the table of periodic elements as well. Ironically, one of Gaber's legacies is the word gibberish, which came from his cryptic writing style. (laughs) Oh, because his name was Gibber or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Is, is the the bastardization of Jabir? Prob- it's yeah. probably Jabir instead yeah. of Geber. Yeah, no, but the West Western world we, we pronounced it Geber, okay. right? But the His word is gibberish, right? But the word yeah. is gibberish. Gibberish. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Torn will do the mispronunciations yeah. on purpose. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but he would say Geberish. From 1232 to 1315, there was a gentleman named Raymond Lull. Around 1275, Lull designed a method as a debating tool for winning over Muslims to the Christian faith through logic and reason. Lull built an in-depth theological reference by which a reader could look up an argument argument or question about the Christian faith, and the reader would then turn to the appropriate index and page to find the correct oh. answer. Oh my god, oh. it's like an early uh, internet, like web page. Yeah. Click here to go there. I'm just imagining like some wheel, you know, he have those wheels. Oh, he invented and- those as well. <laughs> I'm not even so joking. you like find in a, in a box of cereal or something like that. Right, and you align oh, the two symbols ring? Yeah. and yeah, you yeah, get yeah. an answer or something? Yeah. Lull invented a machine for the same purpose, which is now called the Lullian Circle, which consisted of two or more paper discs inscribed with alphabetical letters or symbols that referred to lists of attributes. The discs could be rotated individually to generate a large number of combinations of ideas. Oh, perfect. These combinations were said to show all possible truths about the subject of the circle. 
Lull based this on the notion that there were a limited number of basic, undeniable truths in all fields of knowledge, sure. and that we could understand everything about these fields by studying combinations of these elemental truths. Wow. This is like the four elements for ideas. Yes, yeah. totally. Uh, in 1285, uh, Lull hoped to embrace a martyr's death and embarked on his first mission to North Africa, and he wound up instead forcefully expelled. <laughs> 20 years later, Lull visited North Africa a second time, this time on a reconnaissance mission for a crusade being planned by the Pope. Oh. Uh, in 1314, at the age of 82, Lull traveled once again to North Africa, where he drew an angry crowd of Muslims and was finally stoned to death in the city of Bougie. <laughs> Finally, he got his martyrdom. He probably wrote a note in 1285, I'm going to the Holy Land to be martyred, right? And then came back. (laughs) Hey, what's up, Lol? Thought you were going to go get martyred. I don't want to talk about it. It just kicked me out. From 1409 to 1490, there lived Bernard Trevisian. Trevisian? Oh, actually, it might be Trevisan. Trevisan. No, there's no second eye. He was born into a noble family in Padua, and yes, that makes him a Padawan. Oh. How many midichlorians did he have, though? (laughs) That's the real question. He attempted for eight years to fashion the Philosopher's Stone out of hen eggshells and egg yolks purified in horse manure. Ooh, that's that's like a road apple omelet. (laughs) Oh, snap. Let's uh, add that to the caustic soda restaurant menu. (laughs) (laughs) Along with, uh, you know, tinctures of mercury. Hey, we got to make money somehow. True enough. Restaurants, man. True enough. But you need that repeat business. That's a big money maker. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, he tried using human blood and urine. That's a tasty philosopher's stone right there. He's trying to make a stone out of liquid. Well, the thing is, the term philosopher's stone actually wasn't for a stone. It was for like a, a powder. That's, was that generally makes rumored. It so confusing. It is true. It is when true. It's you confusing. go see that Harry Potter movie, he gradually sold his entire wealth to buy secrets. There wasn't enough hints. blood and urine in the Harry Potter movie. <laughs> by the way. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> Although, by the way, the Americans know it as sorcerer's stone in the Harry Potter. That's right. Because they don't believe true. in philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Only sorcery. Uh, Johann George Faust lived from 1466 to 1540. He's the source for the character Faust by both Goethe and Dr. Faustus by Marlowe. There are records of Faust appearing as a performer of magical tricks and horoscopes all over southern Germany. And he also appeared in other multiple sources as a physician, a doctor of philosophy, an alchemist, a magician, an an astrologer. Often in the context of being accused as a fraud. Shocking. And the church officially denounced him as a blasphemer and he leagued with the devil. If he was a gangster rapper in this day and age, that would actually like help his case. You gotta right? put that on your business card. Uh-huh. Also in 1507, it was alleged that Faust received a teaching position, which he abused by indulging in sodomy with his male students. Oh. Abused? Uh, he evaded punishment by a timely escape. In Venice, Faust allegedly attempted to fly. But <laughs> Do you was... know how he escaped? He like had a handful of that, that smoke powder or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, ran away. His, his little devil costume. <laughs> <laughs> Jumped out a window and ran away. <laughs> he isn't leagued with the devil after all. In Venice, Faust allegedly attempted to fly, but was thrown to the ground by the devil. We oh, call what? That... <laughs> we call that gravity. Yeah, yeah. yeah Actually, exactly. Yeah. The strong force, the weak force, and the force of the devil. <laughs> yeah, true enough. <laughs> Why don't we all fly off into space? Devil's pushing us down. <laughs> Be held down by the man. Because heaven's up there, right? Mm-hmm. He's pushing us down away from mm. it. Uh, Faust was arrested in Battenberg because he had recommended the local chaplain use arsenic to get rid of his stubble. The chaplain, the chaplain. <laughs> well, that would get rid of that and so much more. Yeah. 
the chaplain lost not only his beard but also much of his skin. Considering I would imagine. Considering how much the church hated him, it was probably like, uh, can you help me get rid of this stubble? I know we're in the outs. Yeah, just rub arsenic on it, asshole. <laughs> okay. Oh god, he's not gonna do it, is he? Faust's death is dated to either fifteen forty or fifteen forty one. He allegedly died in an explosion of an alchemical experiment in the Hotel Zumluin. Uh his body was reported to have been found in a grievously mutilated state, which was interpreted by contemporaries that the devil had come to collect him in person. Yeah, every time I find a mutilated corpse, it's the devil. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's <laughs> well, more logical. In the 1500s, probably, yeah. That's, that's pretty much... <laughs> I think you'd only find mutilated corpses. Really? In the 1500s? Did nobody die nicely? They, well, they don't have any nice, clean... Well, I mean, b- being killed by somebody else. Somebody right? could... Don't, you don't get a bullet hole to the head. Like, you hack people up with your knives. What about somebody drinking mercury in the hopes of elixir of life? Okay. Well, yeah. silver lips. Encyclopedia Brown would have sussed that one out in a second. <laughs> Encyclopedia Brown, he says. <laughs> out of all the fictional detectives, yeah. out of all the... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to name my firstborn Encyclopedia, by the way. Everybody will be like, what's, everybody will say, like, what's that? Is it like Wikipedia? Wikipedia Brown. So we've actually talked about this guy a couple times, Paracelsus, mm-hmm. right? His birth name was Philippus Aureolus Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. <laughs> Bombastus was in there? Yeah. That's his real name. All right, I don't I'm, think I'm, that was his real name. I'm changing my firstborn name <laughs> idea. Uh, he, his chosen name, Paracelsus, means equal to or greater than Celsus, which <laughs> refers to the Roman encyclopedist Aulus Cornelius Celsus from the first century. I'm going to name myself Para Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Ew, your parents name you that. I mean, that's even weirder. Paracelsus founded the discipline of toxicology and famously insisted upon observations of nature rather than looking at ancient texts. In fact... He had a habit of burning ancient books, which he deemed false or misleading. Why does he hate tradition? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's credited for giving zinc its name and for the terms gas, chemistry, and alcohol. Hmm. Paracelsus. Come up with zinc. That's what I want to know. I don't know. Oh, Oh, you know, it fell from the fell from the cabinet. And it made the noise. Zinc. Zinc. Oh, zinc. Uh (laughs) I like that. He's credited for linking mining to respiratory disease, connecting head injuries with retardation and paralysis diagnosed congenital syphilis, and disproved that mental illness indicated demon possession. Those are the hits? Although I did read that this guy was incredibly arrogant, right? Like, oh, yeah. Super, super arrogant. No, he would get, like, uh, actually banned from universities and, like, kicked out of countries and because people hated him so much. And it seemed like, I think I read one of, the, one of, his, uh, one of his essays on some sort of alchemy thing, and at the top he basically said, I'm going to tell you the basics. If you don't get the basics, just stop here. Don't bother. <laughs> don't read any further. You won't get it. Who would play Paracelsus in the biopic of his life? Oh, who's the snootiest actor? Oh, the guy who and plays German? Tywin Lannister. Oh, mm. uh-huh. I was just thinking, should it be a German actor? Hey, you give to Christoph Waltz; he'll work magic with it. Oh, mm. Christoph Waltz would be great. Mm-hmm. Okay, he'd be great at everything. Uh, he can make a killer BLT. He's great at everything. He's great at everything. <laughs> All right. In the uh, also in the 16th century, John Dee was the one of the most learned men of his age. He devoted most of his effort in the last 30 years of his life to an attempt to commune with angels in order to learn the universal language of creation and bring about the apocalyptic unity of mankind. He gets a fair amount of play in uh, Lovecraft stories. And Sandman. It's translations of Necronomicon and stuff like that. Yeah, really? One important little tidbit. In 1578, at the age of 51, he married a 23-year-old woman named Jane Fremont. This will be important because I'm going to talk about one of his colleagues. What was her name? Jane Fromond. One of his colleagues, Edward Kelly, 
Kelly, as a young man, was pilloried for forgery counterfeiting, and both his ears were cropped off. Is that what pilloried means? What yes. does pilloried mean? Uh, no, that's when you get your head and hands in the stocks. Oh, to be pilloried in the stocks? On top of being pilloried, he, both his ears were cropped off. So I'm sure he maybe kinda... he escaped from the thing by pulling his head out and his oh, ears went. Thunk. Oh, oh, that ears. might have been what actually happened. <laughs> uh, Kelly approached John D in 1582 and convinced him he had the power to commune with angels through a crystal ball, and so that's how they became affiliated. Okay. Uh, in 1583, Kelly claimed that he could prepare a red tincture, which would allow him to transmute base metals into gold. Kelly and Dee's involvement in necromancy eventually caught the attention of the Catholic Church, and on March 27, 1587, they were required to defend themselves in a hearing. Oh, a hearing. Uh, Dee handled the interview with tact, but Kelly is said to have infuriated the nuncio by stating that one of the problems with the Catholic Church is the, and I quote, poor conduct of many of the priests. Oh. Uh, in Everything fact, old is new again. <laughs> while probably true, it's not very politic to bring up when they are judging you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the nuncio noted in the letter he wrote to superiors that he was tempted to toss Kelly out of the window. Oh, a defenestration. <laughs> defenestration was quite popular in Prague, where they were at the time. <laughs> now, we're getting an idea of the kind of person Kelly might have been. Okay. You know, might have had a few uh, problems with tactfulness. Yeah, necromancy, but you guys can be jerks. Yeah. For some unknown reason, it appears that in late 1587, Kelly desired to end his collaborations with Dee, but Dee insisted that they continue. So, as an act to possibly sever their working relationship, Kelly revealed to Dee that the angels, mm -hmm. specifically a spirit named Madimi, had ordered them to share everything in their life, including their wives. Mm -hmm. Madimi said so. <laughs> <laughs> The great Medivine. And I just want to re go back to a minute before where I pointed out that D had a very young wife. Jane from And. D indeed agreed to share his wife, as noted in his diary, and he called it a cross-matching, which occurred in May of 1587. Uh, and today we call it wife-swapping. Or Polly. Nine months later, D's wife gave birth to a son. Wow. Mm-hmm. Although there was rampant speculation among the two men that the child was actually Kelly's, it was raised as Dee's own son. The cross-matching incident remained a secret until after the post-mortem publication of all of Dee's diaries, so there was no public controversy right. at the time. Those alchemists can really keep a secret. <laughs> what happens in the alchemical lab stays in the alchemical lab. Kelly left Dee in 1589 to join the emperor's court in Prague, while Dee returned to England, and they never saw each other again. So now, from this point forward, it's Kelly's story alone. By 1590, Kelly was living a rather opulent lifestyle, having received several estates and large sums of money from various noblemen who believed he was able to produce gold. How long do you have to be believed that you can create gold before somebody realizes that you can't create gold? Well, it turned out on one of his estates that he was given, he had a gold mine. <laughs> he just kept pulling it's it like out of his... Quietly digging it up. Quietly digging it up and like you producing it for people. Lead. Yeah. And I'll get back to you in a couple days. <laughs> with the gold. However, in May of 1591, I guess uh, his time with Rudolf II, his uh, honeymoon period was over because Rudolf had Kelly arrested and imprisoned in, the ca in a castle outside of Prague. Rudolf apparently never doubted Kelly's ability to produce gold on a large scale and hoped that imprisonment would induce him to cooperate and fill his royal treasury. How did that work out? In 1597, Kelly died while attempting to escape. <laughs> by scaling down the wall, he fell and broke his leg and was imprisoned again and died of sepsis. Oh. So did he defenestrate himself? Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. he did. <laughs> Auto defenestration. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton, yeah. pretty famous guy, but for physics and mathematics. I've heard after, of him. After his death, they went through all of his unpublished papers and it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that he had spent the vast majority of his time actually studying alchemy 
and not math or physics. So just think what it would have happened if he'd spent the vast majority of time studying mathematics and physics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, awesome things. He, he might have had a spaceship or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but not a gold spaceship. <laughs> John Maynard Keynes, who acquired many of Newton's writings on alchemy, stated that Oh, what should John Maynard Keynes sound like? I know that all your voices all are, are all... Scottish, so why don't you go with Scottish? <laughs> Newton was not the first of the age of reason. He was the last of the magicians. And it's always, it's not Scottish. It's always the father from Brave. <laughs> <laughs> he was not the first of the age of reason. He was the last of the magicians. I go. love that quote. I'm going to bring up a guy who's a contemporary of ours, a man who was born in 1912 and died in 1999, a guy named Glenn Seaborg. Seaborg. Uh-huh. He's yeah. an American scientist who won the 1951 Nobel Prize in Chemistry. He was the principal or co-discoverer of 10 different elements. Plutonium, americium, curium, berkelium, californium, einsteinium, fermium, <laughs> mendelevium, nobelium, and element 106, which was later named Seaborgium in his honor. Oh, what did he name it? He named it element 106. Just he let to be the different. He let the door open. He let okay. the door open going, yeah. listen, I can't name it Seaborgium, but if somebody else wanted to, I wouldn't stop you. This is leave... just a placeholder name. Yeah. <laughs> just going to leave this crappy name lying around. Uh, he was involved. This thing I discovered. Why have I included him on this list? Because in 1980, he transmuted several thousand atoms of bismuth into gold at the what? Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, able to remove protons and neutrons from the bismuth atoms using nuclear physics. How much How much bismuth did he turn to gold? Several, Several thousand, thousand atoms. atoms. How, how much does that weigh? Probably, you probably can't see it with <laughs> the naked eye. You probably can't see it. Yeah. 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 All right. But he did it. That's pretty and amazing. How much, and more importantly, how much is it worth? What's the market value of several thousand less atoms? Less than a penny. Yeah. And is it less than what the bismuth was worth? It's Seaborg's technique was far too expensive to enable routine manufacturing of gold. <laughs> but Damn it. this is the closest we've ever come to the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. Well, now so, that we know what elements are, and that that means you can't actually strip down gold to something else without going into n nuclear fusion and yeah. fission, yeah, that's yeah. the only way you're going to do it. Be the 
some changes made. In the Notable Frauds. Notable Frauds. That's good. New segment. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Seton, I don't have his birthday, but it was uh, the mid-1500s, so 16th century. He was an alchemist of some renown. He drew the attention of Christian II, the Elector of Saxony, which is a small Germanic region. Elector. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, he's definitely nobility. It's but not I... a misspelling of Electro, is it? <laughs> it? You know, he might have electrical powers. The I, Electro I can't Sass confirm or deny that. Uh-huh. Okay. Christian invited Seton to visit several sick relatives, and every patient miraculously recovered. Cementing his reputation with the elector, the elector. This sounds like there's a there's a butt coming up here. This is about to bite this guy in the ass. Uh, having also heard of his skill for transmutation, Christian asked Alexander to perform one in his presence. Mm. This put Seton in a conundrum, as church inquisitors could easily be notified, and if he was accused of sorcery for treating patients with herbs and potions, mm-hmm. he would likely be put to death by hanging or drowning. Now, conundrum is one of the uh, the elements uh, that you can. Uh... <laughs> that Seaborg ended up. I have. Finding. Here in my hand, pure conundrum. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Alexander repeatedly found excuses to decline the recurring invitations, but Christian eventually lost his patience and had him arrested for sorcery. Oh, Jesus. What's the. You say no so, too many times. Hold on. So hold on a second. Let me get this straight. Yeah. The guy says, Hey, I want you to turn lead into gold. He goes, eh, with, with your magic. With your magic. <laughs> Thanks, but no thanks. No, I really want you to do it for me. I'm going to ask you 10 more times. Yeah. And then when you say no, I'm going to arrest you for the thing that I was asking you to do that you right. refused no, to no, do. It's, it's like in Dungeons and Dragons. Wizards and sorcerers are two different classes oh, altogether. Yeah, okay, got it. You can't get arrested for wizardry, but you can get <laughs> oh. arrested for sorcery. That's right. So in D&D, the wizards are the ones who learn magic, and the sorcerers are the ones who have it naturally. Mm. So uh-huh. this guy wanted to learn how to make gold, and the other guy's like, well, no, it's, it's only me. Uh-huh. Oh, sorcery, that's illegal. Alexander was tortured for months in order to get him to reveal his alchemical secrets. So you arrested him for sorcery, for yes. refusing to do the thing that would have been sorcery, yep. and then he gets him arrested for sorcery, and then he tortures teach him and says, teach me the, your sorcery. Yes. Just so I know what not to do, because <laughs> all of that is illegal. Right. I don't want to accidentally do sorcery. For the first several weeks, they beat him with rods, then they burned his hands and feet with melted lead and pierced oh. his body with needles. Ooh. Finally, they hung him from a cross where he, ha- where he had his body torn with red hot tongs this is some grade a torture this is not like you know crushing your fingers this is be clear you do not have to heat up those tongs to peel flesh off your body (laughs) no they can be that's just room temperature (laughs) but in this case they were red hot none of these violent efforts to pry the secret of transmutation from seton worked in fact he reportedly told the elector i swear by god it is an illusion a mere trick of light and disorientation and handy machinery so a self-admitted fraud yes, under yes. pain of torture. Yeah. <laughs> to which the elector replied, How am I to believe any oath sworn by a man who confesses to quackery and deceit? What? That's true. Oh, How can okay. I believe you when you tell me you're lying? Because that means you're a liar. <laughs> So I therefore can't believe you. But I must keep torturing you until you right. tell me how to transmute. Sounds like he just wanted to torture I, a guy for two yeah. months. Yeah. Hey! Your purest conundrum has, <laughs> you know, you, this guy's been hit in the head. That's with like a, 12 carat conundrum. With a, yeah, with a brick of pure conundrum, that's for sure. Now, enter Michael Sendivogius, a Moravian chemist who had heard of Seton's plight and managed to obtain permission to visit him. Sendovius bribed Seton's guards to get him freed from captivity. So there's a good guy in this story. Finally. Unfortunately, Seton was grievously injured. The only external organs not destroyed by torture were his eyes and mouth. What? 
He would need his mouth to spill his secrets, and he would need his eyes so that he could supervise the transmutation process. Oh. This is why they left it. How do you feel about the lungs and heart there, though? Well, external, external organs, organs external, right? We so didn't we just mean his skin has organs. just been shredded. So he's, yeah, he's probably got no are... hands and fingers and toes and... Uh, Nose is gone and ears yeah. are gone. And... He'd be kind of horrible to look he's... at. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seton died from his wounds shortly after the escape. I bet. Sindivogius uh-huh. married Seton's widow. Oh! <laughs> and allegedly received Seton's life work in the dowry. <laughs> Sindivogius proceeded to make a great name for himself as an alchemist with works that carries his name, but whose contents are often described to Seton. That is good work wow. if you can get it. All you have to do is rescue an a alchemist guy who's about to die from torture. Yeah. Right. Marry his wife. To get his secrets. Get, get his, his secret. dowry and all the yeah. And And you learn from his mistakes, this right? Is you not don't happy. get captured and tortured. There's the, This Seton guy, was becoming an alchemist was the worst thing he could have done. Yeah. You torture somebody to get an answer, and the answer he gives you is... I don't know anything. I'm a big liar. It's, I'm a big liar. It's all just been a, a total hoax. Smoke and mirrors. And he goes, I can't believe your hoax admission because Be- this means this proves that you're a liar. That's your right. hoax is a hoax. <laughs> Keep talking. Yeah, it's a double negative. <laughs> Do these guys not remember what happened to the goose that laid the golden egg? Like people didn't sit around and go, ah, excellent. We'll get a, a golden egg every once in a while. They cut that son of a bitch open. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's find the let's find the gold inside. That's what they're going to do to alchemists. You know why the goose golden laid the golden eggs? Because he was impregnated by a golden gander. Oh, it's all the gander. fault. You know, 50-50 DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Only half of the eggs were gold. In 1752 to 1783, James Price was an English chemist and alchemist who claimed to be able to turn mercury into silver or gold. Okay, not exactly an original claim. He attended Oxford University. And became a Master of Arts at 25, a Doctor of Medicine at 26, and a member of the Royal Society at 29. Bit of a wonder kid. On the 6th of May, 1782, he began a series of public experiments to demonstrate that he could produce precious metals by mixing boras, nitre, and a red powder to produce gold, and a white powder to produce silver. Oh, so double whammy, silver and gold. So he decided he did public experiments. He said, here here you go, I'm going to turn these into silver and gold, and did it in public. Wow, actually did it. He did seven of these, and the accounts of the experiments were published with great fanfare. So he's now famous. He's like... Yeah, all the girls are screaming. James Price, he's a rock star. James Price, member of the Royal (laughs) Society, discovers the secret of transmuting elements to gold. Do you think as he's transmuting, people are throwing their panties up on stage? Yes, I absolutely think that, yeah. (laughs) Rock star. We need a women's perspective on this sort of thing, that's for sure. For Ah. sure, but I also think there's a butt coming here yeah. as well. Well, <laughs> well, it wouldn't be caustic soda if there wasn't. The fellows of the Royal Society, being uh, you know proto-scientists as they were mm-hmm. back then, were less convinced, and they asked him to repeat the experiments in the presence of other members of the society. Okay, so okay, you got a scientific experiment, repeat it in front of right. scientists instead of y- local yokels. Makes sense. Price right. claimed that his powders were exhausted, and preparations of new samples would cost right. him time and money and be damaging to his health. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd love to, guys, but I'm all out of my special stuff. Right. My powders are exhausted. And it's, it's uh, I'm getting older. And, uh, <laughs> I'm all of 31. And also, it costs so much. It, it costs me 17 pounds to make an ounce of gold, and gold is only worth four pounds an ounce. So really, it's this is a nice scientific experiment, but you don't want me to do it again. So they bought it. They insisted. Oh, they did the opposite of buying it. In 1783, he returned to his laboratory to start production of the miraculous powders, and he didn't return to London until August, where he invited members of the Royal Society to witness his experiment. So they're ca- he's Says, calling their bluff. I'm he's like, kind of. Yeah. He's hoping that they're going to come gonna, on over. Show you how it works. He's hoping they're going to show up and go. You know what? 
don't bother. Don't worry about it, buddy. I get it. You know, only three members showed up on the appointed day. Mm. What? Because they didn't think he was going to. They just this is bullshit. <laughs> okay, don't let three. Treated three. them all to mercury laced wine, <laughs> Kool Aid. <laughs> Although he was clearly disappointed by the poor, poor turnout, Price welcomed the three men and then drank a flask of laurel water, which he had prepared, which contained prussic acid. Before the three men could do anything, Price was dead. Oh, oh that wow. is a good trick, but I can only do it once. <laughs> I can transmute me into a corpse. So his wow. lesser of two evils was, would you rather be exposed as a fraud yeah. or drink poison and kill yourself? And he chose the prussic acid. Yeah. And he drank acid. I mean, that, that can't be good. He would have been a great host on this show. Mm. <laughs> For a very short period of time, For, yeah. <laughs> until he was exposed as a fraud and no, then drank acid. He could have talked about it in, uh, you know, uh, hypothetical terms. Uh, Prussian acid is hydrogen cyanide. Ah, that Ooh, sounds deadly. Yeah. That sounds like something you're going to drink and die before you hit the floor. Well, thank you. I'm going to show you my <laughs> magical alchemical powers. Glug. <laughs> he just wanted an audience for his suicide. I, oh, he I was know. disappointed that only three people showed up. Yeah, maybe, exactly. I maybe mean, he was disappointed three did. Maybe he expected none, and then he'd be so able then to he could a, go. Yeah. Well, nobody showed. I did it. I did, I did it, but it again, but nobody was yeah. there. Had, and then I artist, spent the gold. <laughs> I had this artist draw out what I was doing, so right. to prove that it happened, sort of courtroom style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and here's right. a lump of gold, clunk, clunk, and, uh, bada bing, bada boom. All right, I'm off to be famous. <laughs> Pop culture. Uh, I like to talk about Guillermo del Toro's 1993 picture, Kronos. Kronos. Which I actually really like. And I saw it because I thought it was a vampire movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you weren't disappointed. I wasn't disappointed at all. It's an excellent movie. I mean, this is the movie that put Guillermo del Toro on the map. Now, Kronos is the name of a a titan, isn't it? It is. uh, But this is referring to a device it's a mechanical device invented by a guy in the 16th century, and when it bites you, it confers immortality onto you. It's a biting uh. device. Yeah, well, it's got. A, it looks like a scare beetle, and like you hold it, and then it like okay. starts to eat you, right? But and then it makes like, you immortal. The story starts with this alchemist, you know, back in the 16th century, and he invents this thing, and then he goes on the run, and then somebody dies, and the th- then a wall collapses in the 30s in a war, and they find this body. He's got this kind of weird pallor to his skin. His skin is kind of gray. And so they go and they go to his house and they find all these dead bodies hanging from the ceiling mm. and their blood is being drained from them. And so they're like, okay, this guy's a horrible person. We're taking all his possessions and just selling them on the open market. And one of these, this Kronos device ends up in an antique dealer's shop. And in the course of things, he gets bitten by the thing. And uh, then Ron Perlman shows up. And of course kill- he does. It's a Guillermo movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ron Perlman shows up and kills him for it. And he walks away thinking that he's taking care of this little piece of business. And the guy comes back to life because he's been bitten by the thing. Okay. It's really stylized. Like, I mean, you certainly see Guillermo del Toro's fingerprints all over this thing. So do we only see the alchemy at the very beginning of the yes, movie? Yes, okay. exactly. Exactly. Because the original the creator is the only alchemist, right? So you have a craving for human blood after getting bitten by the thing. Uh-huh. So it has uh-huh. a very... Hence the vampire thing. That's why I, when I saw the trailers and stuff for it, I thought it was a vampire movie. And I and yeah, it turns out to be this kind of, you know, pseudo-magic alchemical thing. Hmm. Joanna, have you read or seen the movie Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? Well, that was the first one, wasn't it? Was yeah. it? No. Stone? Yeah, okay. or Sorcerer's Stone for the Americans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Philosopher's Stone is not the first one because I watched the first one and it, there was no Philosopher's Stone in it. Well, it's like right at the end, the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, did you stay to the end? 
It wasn't after the credits, was it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> number one. Yeah, number one. That's when that guy was young. That guy, a yes. A young Harry Potter. Yeah. yeah. And Let there was unicorn blood life. involved as well. Unicorn blood. Yeah, That's wasn't right. uh, uh, Voldemort was drinking unicorn blood to make himself eternally young? Or Yeah, something? I remember that. Yeah. yeah, same movie. So you did see it. Oh, no, I saw it. I just you know, blanked saw, from my memory. Blanked of order. On yeah. No, no, I've only seen one, and I don't need to see another one ever again. Oh, I see. Dumbledore is a pretty uh, famous alchemist in the series, and uh, he has worked with Nicholas Flamel, who is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, Dumbledore. Nicholas Flamel, who's that? Nicholas Flamel was a very famous uh, alchemist. A real the, person. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. Okay. Another All character. made up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a character. Dumbledore is credited with discovering the 12 uses of dragon's blood, which haven't all been revealed, but so far it's been shown that it can cure diseases. But the book series is over. The book series is over, yes. And so we'll still, never get to we'll know. We'll never get to know. Well, what she's the... already... Let me get to the list. Oh. So far it's been shown to cure diseases, produce fine red ink, strengthen potions. Produce fine red ink. <laughs> you can write with it. That was the first one they discovered. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> as well as work as an oven cleaner and spot remover. Is that two or one? Those are two. <laughs> so five so uses. Of five five of the twelve. Have been wow, revealed. that is some cure diseases. So that's vague. Is all diseases? Uh, I would guess. I don't know. Okay. I don't have the specifics on that. Mm-hmm. Huh? I require clarification yeah. on how the philosopher's stone figures into the plot of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Well, uh, was... I think Voldemort wanted the Philosopher's Stone because he had to get his body back. Like, he's kind of a floating spirit right, right. now, and he wanted the power of the Philosopher's Stone to be able to regrow his body yes. and get eternal life. So it wasn't like a MacGuffin where Harry Potter had the Philosopher's Stone and they were trying to keep it from the bad guy or anything like that. They were both kind of looking for it. There was also a bad professor in Hogwarts who was like, wasn't he making the Philosopher's Stone for Voldemort or something like that? Ugh. Obviously, it wasn't a particularly clear laid out plot. Uh, it's... Mm-hmm. Hence, I've never why I've never seen another one. Oh, you only ever saw You've the first only one. Only seen the yeah. first one. Yeah, I went. I don't need to see another. It's worth it for yeah. Alan Rickman, yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, and Maggie just, Smith. I can just go back and watch that Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie if I want to see a good Alan Rickman. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that movie's better than Harry Potter. Ouch! I haven't seen it. Comic books. I happened to watch a 18 minute video mm-hmm. of the. Uh, original Fantastic Four animated series. From the 60s. In which Diablo plays a part. Yes, those cartoons, like all of the Marvel superhero cartoons from that era, were very much, some of them were more motion-y comic than uh, actual animation. Uh Uh-huh. And they were pretty much lifted entirely whole cloth from the comic books. So you're really not getting a lot of original content, but if you don't want to read the comics and you can't get them, then it's it's a it's a good way to go. Yeah, and this is one of them. Yeah. Before researching this episode, I didn't know shit about the Diablo character, but he is full on an alchemist from the ninth century who sold his soul to the demon Mephisto to lengthen his life far beyond a regular human span. Mm-hmm. He set up a base in Transylvania, but the villagers turned against him and buried him within a stone crypt under his castle. Right. That's his origin story. So mm-hmm. then the cartoon kicks in. Yeah. The Fantastic Four have gone to Transylvania on vacation, as you do, and. They got lost in a like haunted wood, yeah. right? And then they stumble on an old castle where it is explained to them that the Diablo is held in a crypt under the castle, so they shouldn't go anywhere near it. Right. So they stay at a at a, a hunter's lodge nearby, and in his sleep, Ben Grimm, the thing, 
Diablo reaches out with his alchemy powers and forces him to come to the castle and break him free. And then Diablo promises Ben Grimm that he can turn him back into human That's through right. the use of one of his alchemical potions. Mm-hmm. Ah. But he, the thing will have to serve him for a full year before he gets the second dose of the potion. So he's kind of like in the half-human, half-thing yes. mode. He's not as rocky mm. as he normally is for some, That's right. some portion of the story. And so Diablo becomes like one of the richest people in the world because he has all these immortality potions, all these like baldness potions, like any potion you need, he Immortality, can make. baldness. Yeah, whatever you need. He's like out there making it happen. He and turns into big alchemy. And they have the scene. Yeah. He turns into big Just, alchemy, exactly. They have the scene where everybody's standing in front of his throne with giant bags of money held over their heads going, I'll give you anything. I'll give you anything. <laughs> he created a, uh, a an, an impenetrable have paint. Have they not heard of checks? He created a paint that armies could paint their tanks with, which would make them impossible to blow up. And they fire like six missiles at this tank, and it's like unscratched, mm. right? So they all throw their bags of money at him, and he becomes the richest man in the world, and then yeah. he decides to take on world domination next. Does he not understand that being the richest man in the world effectively does that anyway well, no, with what he, we've set up with the world? He has to do it because all of his alchemy potions only last a finite amount of time. Yeah, but he's As right. Mr. Fantastic discovers That's for right. some reason. That's right. But still, you would think that having an invulnerable tank, even for a while. Yeah. 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 You just, how about you just <laughs> yeah. paint it with the potion right before you go into battle? Yeah, or, exactly. or have a potion dispenser on the tank. Oh, we're about to get attacked. <laughs> Potion bomb yourself. It's, it's like set, when they, they set off the smoke bombs outside the tanks to like hide them from right. attacks. Instead, it just goes and covers them with the paint. Well, this wasn't dealt with in the course of no. this 20-minute cartoon, <laughs> uh, which is pretty awful. But, the, you know, Diablo's awesome because he's got this suit where it's like purple and black with all sorts of spiky things on it. He's got this giant handlebar mustache and, his, and he talks like this, like, the, you know, your classic <laughs> villain, right? Yeah, because his real name is Esteban Corazon Diablo. Oh, the classic yeah. in Jack Esteban. Kirby. Yeah, well, in Jack Kirby style where his last name must be Day, as in D-E space Ablo. Oh, <laughs> His bad guy name, like Diablo. his family wouldn't even recognize the chat. <laughs> oh, come this way, Mr. Hilter. So <laughs> he's a ridiculous character, and I would hate him if I was a Fantastic Four fan every time he showed up. And I'm the- going to get the hero clicks and play him <laughs> hero clicks against you. Yes, you should. You should. I will take him down. In with fact, I'll have all Earth. Diablos, oh, and then I'll yeah. be, I drank a potion to duplicate myself. <laughs> Hero clicks would limit your ability to do that if you followed the rules. Calvin Bell Hero clicks. <laughs> Full Metal Alchemist. Television. Full yeah. Metal Alchemist. It's an anime. It's actually kind of a bloody violent anime. It really is dark. Yeah. 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 Okay. So when did this come out? Uh, 2003 was when the uh, the first anime came out. We talked about this a little bit on our, I can't remember which Seven Deadly Sins episode it was, but there are characters in the show that are that are actually homunculi, mm-hmm. uh, and they are all named after the Deadly Sins. Okay. I'm pretty sure I mentioned a few of them throughout those episodes. I hope they didn't get cut. Mm-hmm. Uh So in this anime, the world is styled after a European industrial revolution in which alchemy is one of the most advanced scientific techniques. Uh, The story follows the brothers Edward and Alphonse Elric, who are searching for the Philosopher's Stone to restore their bodies after a disastrous failed attempt to bring their mother back to life through alchemy. Uh, alchemy is basically the magic in this world, right. but it does really follow a lot of. Uh, it's it's kind of halfway between magic-y, you know, the you can do anything, and actual alchemy, right? Because okay. yeah. it's an anime, so they want cool fights yeah. and magic and spells and stuff like that. But it's all about transmuting things. Okay. The reason he's called Full Metal Alchemist is that's his national alchemist name. He, in order to, it's not because he's a robot. Well, he's part well, sort robot. Of, yeah. Oh. So okay, yeah. the very beginning of of the series, he and his young, slightly younger brother, they're about to. 
10 or 11 years old, I think. Oh, uh, wow. And they're both naturally very good at this alchemy. And their mother dies of, I think, a stroke. They just come yeah, home. Yeah, it's just a sickness or something. It's a really cool scene. Yeah, yeah. that's right. She had a sickness and they said, yeah. she, that's right. She must have uh, had this pain for a long time. And there's a lot of stuff about like grief. Like their father, who was a famous alchemist, disappeared or something. Yeah. And she's very sad and there's sort of this wasting away kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So they try to bring her back to life using their powers and uh -huh. they're not old enough to understand you you're not supposed to do that and they create a horrible monster but also because a homunculus. of a homunculus uh -huh. so the spell ends up taking the youngest brother's entire body and uh edward's left leg okay and, and left arm i believe uh, as well one arm and one leg isn't it no what happens is this is a little this gets revealed throughout the course of the anime yeah. but because uh, alphonse has been completely sucked away into this other magical oh, yes, world right, right, right. Uh, edward makes a deal with the one of these creatures through this gate uh -huh. to bring his brother back and fuse his soul into this body of armor lying nearby this big huge hulking suit of armor right okay and for that deal he gives up his right arm Ah, so right. he's there's also this stuff called auto mail, which is kind of industrial revolution slash magicy slash alchemical alchemical sort of. So does this show have kind of like a steampunk? It's a little to steampunky, it? very so, industrial feeling. So right. basically, he gets he gets a kind of steampunk arm and a steampunk leg, I mean, which also looks like a total badass. Yeah, alchemy kind of has a steampunk kind of. Well, they're both old timey. Yeah, both old timey. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. it's <laughs> pretty so, modern. But uh, you're saying this one's excellent? I really, really yeah. like it. The, I'm not really a fan of anime series. either, and I, I like it as well, for yeah. sure. It's is it a self-contained series? Like they, it's big. It's, there's, <laughs> I think, about 60 episodes yeah. in the first series. It's based on a manga, which I haven't read, and apparently the last half of the series is quite different from the manga. But it's really cool and really creative. You want to talk about Lovecraft? Howard Phillips Lovecraft. The Case of Charles Dexter Ward features I read that some one. alchemy. In 1918, Charles Dexter Ward learns the history of, an of his ancestor, Joseph Kerwin, a rumored wizard who performed alchemical experiments and did not age. Ward, who Philosopher's Stone style. Ward, who physically resembles Kerwin, learns Kerwin's formula to resurrect the dead. Oh, this, this can't possibly end badly. <laughs> Lovecraft story? Yeah, no way. I'll read uh, from one of the documents in the story. Mm -hmm. The essential salts of animals may be so prepared and preserved that an ingenious man may have the whole Ark of Noah in his own study and raise the fine shape of an animal out of its ashes at his pleasure. And by the like method from the essential salts of human dust, a philosopher may, without any criminal necromancy, wow. call up the shape of any dead ancestor from the dust wherein his body has been incinerated. So All right. Necromancy free. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> resurrection. resurrection. All right. It's kind of like uh, when they invented sugar-free Coke, right? Less guilt, you yeah. get the same result. Yeah. Huh. So Ward locates Kerman's remains and resurrects him. Uh, Lovecraft's inspiration came from reading Cotton Mather and Petrus Borillus, a well-known French doctor and alchemist. All right, good times. The bulk of the story concerns the investigation by the Ward's family doctor in an attempt to discover the reason for Ward's madness and physiological changes. Uh, the doctor finds that Kerwin has murdered Ward and resumed his evil activities, but due to culture shock, he is unable to entirely successfully impersonate Charles Dexter Ward. So Charles Dexter Ward is actually dead by the time like the story starts kind of thing. Possibly. They talk about when the transition might have happened and right. so forth. It's a short story, as most of Lovecraft's stories are, and it was adapted into an excellent film oh, yeah? in 1991 okay. called The Resurrected. Okay. Interesting. I didn't cool. know that. Written, uh, directed by Dan O'Bannon. 
who you may recall as one of the screenwriters for Alien, mm-hmm. and starring Chris Sarandon from Princess Bride oh, yeah. as oh, uh, yeah. Charles Jester Ward slash Joseph Kerwin. That does sound like an excellent movie. Yeah, it's it's more it takes kind of a film noirish spin on it. Yeah, it's not a doctor; it's a private investigator. And he's hired by Charles Dexter Ward's wife. What's but, wrong uh, with my has, husband? Has a has a cool scene that's very evocative, like one of the best scenes in the story, where the investigator goes down into kind of the lab, the lair of yeah. Joseph Kerwin, and there's all these pits. In the, underneath in this underground complex yeah. underneath the house mm. and there's things in those pits which may be not entirely successful experiments mm. <laughs> yeah. and then a certain uh, electric torch gets dropped and then there's some clambering about oh, and so oh. forth in the dark sounds tense and noises <laughs> and smells and whatnot yeah it's <laughs> there good. were smells in the movie uh, yep smell of vision was in 4D <laughs> <laughs> should we talk about Alchemy and Dungeons and Dragons? I know you play Dungeons and Dragons. I do play Dungeons and Dragons. Well, there's an alchemist class in Pathfinder. Oh, is that right? I believe, yeah. Yeah, I'm playing Pathfinder a lot now. And there's an alchemist class, mostly he just makes bombs. Right. (laughs) Like Greek fire and whatnot. (laughs) Right. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Napalm and... Kind of a one-trick pony, but that one trick is incredibly powerful. As opposed to conferring immortality upon other characters that might have been deemed to, to <laughs> you know, mess up gameplay and whatnot. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can imagine. And probably, you know, giving immortality to characters doesn't really have immediate effect in a game situation. Yeah, you should if just randomly... Just like, if it's not uh, being immune to being stabbed, but rather yeah. just living forever, <laughs> then, then that's kind of already in the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. As if you have an alchemist class, you should be just randomly forced to roll every once in a while of like, you know, I'm going to try and get the Philosopher's Stone. Ooh. I'm going to try and invent it and then that'd see what happens. Good, uh, that'd be a good quest. Yeah. You could... <laughs> yeah. You could have an accident and then and then you you roll on like a 1D100 to like figure out. You just make a, a craft alchemy check. Yeah, exactly. DC yeah. 5 and see, million. And see what you actually get, right? You and know? if you're a gnome, you're better at that. Yeah. You, know? you could blow yourself up or you could end up with something really cool. Uh, Gary Gygax, if you weren't dead, if, if, if you're, you're not listening. dead, yeah. get on it. Yeah. Ooh, maybe we can get a necromancy-free Gary Gygax back here. Oh, I'll, to, uh, I'll first I'll dig it. up. For, okay, first I'll dig up H.P. Lovecraft's remains. Okay, there you and go. And then we'll get him to resurrect Gary Gygax, and then we'll play in a game with those two guys. And I would like to play a half half orc barbarian. Oh. That's an, okay. You've thought about yeah, this? Yeah, you really have, yeah. <laughs> You've had this. There's some details there. How do you think H.P. Lovecraft would react to Dungeons & Dragons? It's an abomination. <laughs> okay, great. Well, we could yeah. play, you know, the Cthulhu RPG but with Lovecraft. That's just the syphilis. He'll know everything that's going to happen, though. <laughs> yeah. but He'll love it. His objection is just the syphilis talking. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I think he would read the Dungeon Master's Guide and say, this isn't wordy enough. Not enough just descriptors. N- not enough syllables and descriptors. <laughs> Why aren't these people making sanity checks all the time? (laughs) (laughs) Skyrim. Yeah, Skyrim, Oblivion, and Morrowind. Morrowind. Yeah, Yeah, you can be an alchemist. Because I've only played Oblivion and Skyrim. But you like them. I do, and I make many a potion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Arena, Daggerfall, Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim. Anybody in the game can make potions. Well, the world is really, really huge. So you can do, especially in Skyrim, they've made it even bigger. You can do anything. Make armor, make weapons. Tan leather, oh, create I thought, potions. I thought you were going to suggest if that, that isn't titillating you. I don't know what will. <laughs> I thought for a second you were going to suggest that there was a Jersey Shore edition where you could tan, tan. yourself. Yeah, <laughs> no, but you can be an alchemist, and it's pretty cool. The way the skills work in these games is basically the more you do it, the higher your skill gets. Like you just as you make potions, you start to get mm-hmm. bonuses in your alchemy skill. So kind of like true as in, like in real life. Like yeah. the more you do something, the better you get it. Yeah. So one of the ways you level your sneaking is to 
is to sneak behind somebody and then just walk into a corner over and over again, walk away from your computer with something holding down your forward oh, key. Oh, that Stop sounds breaking like cheating. the game. <laughs> Good lord. It doesn't work with alchemy That's though. That's sneaky no. in its own way. Uh, the cool thing is, is that the way the alchemy works and the potion making works is that like almost everything that you pick up can be used or well, all the natural ingredients. Like you'll be walking around in this beautiful outdoor scenery and there'll be like a little flower and you pick it up and later on you find out, oh, if I use this flower and this other thing together in this potion thing, I will make a cure light wounds potion. All right. Mm -hmm. And you pretty much primarily find out what mushrooms and whatnot do by just experimenting yeah. together. When yeah. you, if you find something, you can taste it and then you get one out of four possible uh, functions that it does. Right. But then the rest of them you have to either find a recipe or just kind of Go on the internet. Power through it. Put things yeah. together yeah. and see what happens. Or go on the internet yeah. and read the alchemy wiki yeah. page. If you don't yeah. want to play the game properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you can yeah. do that. Well, there's alchemists in, in World of Warcraft as well. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's pretty fun. That's actually pretty important when you get to high level, actually making yeah. decent potions. For sure. Yeah, they've done a really good uh, a good job of making all the uh, professions useful now. Mm -hmm. There's also a transmute spell in Skyrim because you can go into a mine, you can dig out your own ore, you can just get lead. Okay. And then if you have the transmute mute spell, you can turn your lead to silver and you can turn your silver wow, to gold. Wow, I don't think I've found that yet. No, I don't think yeah. I have that either. Transmute spell. Uh, someone hasn't been cheating enough on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. I just haven't even been playing. I got to the point where I kind of have to decide between the two factions, and I'm like, yeah. Between real life and video? <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that decision was made long ago. <laughs> so, Joanna, tell us what's going on uh, with standard action and all that other crazy stuff. Standard Action is that we just finished releasing our second season, and now we are raising funds for our third season, and uh, we're doing really well, and we're giving away lots of awesome stuff. Now, Standard in Action, for those who may not know, is a web series based on Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, for sure it is. And yeah. I've watched the first disc of the first season that I picked up at Fan Expo, awesome. and I'm about to start on the second disc, and I endorse it. <laughs> I do too. I saw it at the, uh, the Critical Hits comedy show, and uh, they showed it afterwards. And I saw a couple episodes. What's the Critical Hits comedy show? That's uh, Ian Boothby's uh, little Dungeons & Dragons improv show at the Rio. Well, I don't know that it's just Ian Boothby's. Well, he's the one I know mostly. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, run by Eric Fell. It's got Ian Boothby in it. It's got oh. Alan Morrison. It's got Lauren McGibbon. And uh, it's got me in it. And it's, uh, yeah, live D&D &D on stage. And, and it's How really often do you fun. guys do it? Once a month. And you guys, you just all sit around a table and roll dice, right? <laughs> uh, we're mostly on our feet. So Eric Feld does a lot of the rolling and we do a lot of the acting out the battles. And it's it's actually more of an improv comedy show than uh, than just plain old uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. For cool. sure. And you're in costume, too. Yeah, I am the only one in costume. Yeah. <laughs> I take my, my character from Standard Action, Edda the Elf Barbarian, uh, the disappointingly tiny Elf Barbarian. I take her from the show and take her on stage for the Critical Hit Show. Yeah, uh, At the Rio Theatre in Vancouver once a month. Check your local listings. Yeah, usually the last Wednesday of the month, although in May we're on the 15th. And StandardAction.com? Yes, StandardAction.com. Yeah, for sure. You can find everything there. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while struggling in a crocodile death roll. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Ach, no homunculus! <laughs>
focused mainly on the purification of spirit and body in the hopes of gaining mortality. They had a process immortality? called... Immortality? Immortality. What did I say? I'm hoping so. You okay, said let me gaining start mortality. Gaining mortality. I've already got that, my friend. <laughs> I was born with it. <laughs> <laughs> let me start that again. That's what, okay. that's, what, that's, what, that's what Wolverine's looking for in his new movie. 